Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast, Frontier Faith. It's a podcast where it's okay not to know. It's okay not to know what you believe, why you believe it. It's okay to change what you believe or not. Nate and I started doing this podcast because we found ourselves on a bit of a new frontier in terms of our beliefs and our faith. A lot of things we were taught growing up had to change a lot. Some deconstruction and a lot of um, just thinking about what things really are and what we think now. And so uh, thanks for joining us for it. I hope it's helpful to you. Hopefully as we process some, of this, process some of those things, you can maybe process your own journey. So uh, Nate's actually off this week. I guess, you know, pastor types are busy this time of year. So uh, not only are you stuck with me, but we're gonna do something a little different and we're actually gonna have our first guest that we've ever had on the podcast. How's that feel, Trevor? You are the first guest we've ever had. Hello, it's me, your first official guest. Yes. Um, so uh, just so you know, Trevor is my brother. Um, don't hold it against me. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to have Trevor talk about his journey um, in regards to faith and what that has looked like. And the idea is just hopefully you can listen to what he says, listen to his story, and just I'll let you draw your own conclusions. But it's I think we wanted to have him on here because it's very much the same kind of journey that Nate and I have gone on, but it's gone some different places. Yeah. So anything that you want to tell them, Trevor, before we start? I mean, I don't know that there's a lot to, I mean, I'm sure there is a lot to say. I guess I was gonna say there's not a lot to say, but that would make for a very boring episode. But, okay, folks, that's it. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, we're, we're brothers. We lived together for a long time, uh, grew up uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. but not... Uh, not anything particularly notable, I don't think. All right. So obviously, Trevor and I grew up in the same house, same family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in some respects, our uh, exposure and experience of faith was the same. You know, we went to the same church, had the same parents. But obviously, we're different people. In some ways, Trevor and I are very alike. And in some ways, we're very different. So Trevor, what I just wanted to start with. So what did faith look like for you? I mean, even starting as a kid, um, you know, what did it mean to you? What did it look like? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, feel free to uh, cut me off here if I'm covering old Ryan territory. But, uh, you know, we, we grew up with uh, our dad was a uh, Pentecostal minister. So uh, we grew up kind of moving churches, what felt like every few years. Yeah, it did uh, seem often. To, yeah, going to, going to church three times a week. Or more. Um, or more <laughs> in some cases. And three times was, I would say, the average, though. Yeah. Um, and very much being taught that, like, church came first and that that was by far the most important thing in life. Right. Um, so that was a thing that kind of got drilled into me very regularly uh, by our parents and by people we went to church with. Okay. Um, so what did you, I mean, as a kid, like, what did you make of that? Like, did you, I don't know the right way to say this, but like, is that something you believed too? Or is it something that you did because we had to or some combination thereof? Or um, I think when I was a kid, it would have been hard for me to answer that question because i i don't think that i was given a choice mm-hmm. and so the idea of like hey is this something that you actually believe or is it something that you just do because you've always done it was i i think would have been an unanswerable question for the first 20 years of my life because it turns out if i had said i'm not going to church anymore that would have not 
that would yeah, not have been an option, right? I'm chuckling because I'm imagining how that conversation would have went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, to, to be clear, like the amount of like, you have to go to church was so severe that it was like, not just that you had to go to church, but you had to go to our church. Like right. I couldn't go to the church of other friends. Uh, I couldn't go other places. It was like, you go to this church in this building three times a week. Mm-hmm. I don't care if anyone else is there. Like we we go here. This is our church, and uh, I don't care if you've got stuff going on. I don't care if you have homework that's unfinished. Like you knew church was coming, and you should have done your homework earlier. Right. Like it was that level of like there was no there was no decision making that entered the equation. Yeah, I think I remember maybe one time in high school, I think, where I didn't have to go to a youth group thing because I had a giant project or something. But I, other than that, yeah, that's how I remember it too. It was, yeah. if you didn't, they would never say it this way, but if you didn't have it done first, you, you're, you know, shit out of luck and do it when you get back kind of thing. Uh, I think at the time, especially, they would have told me that it, they would have been fine with me failing something at school in order to go to church if I had, if the reason I failed was because I had left it too late. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was, at the very least, that was the impression I was operating under. That's how you felt. Okay. Yes. Um, so, I mean, like, what, this is a silly question. I don't want to say, how did that make you feel? But I just mean, like, so what was that like for either, you know, maybe not kid Trevor, but what about, like, teenage Trevor or young, younger adult, you know, like, um, what did you make of that? Uh, it was, it was hard in a lot of ways. I think it was very isolating for me. Um, like I would have friends who had, I would even consider, uh, I would have considered, you know, Christian friends at the time who were very much, uh, not as hardcore about that stuff. And it was hard to relate to those people in some ways. Um, like I, I would, I would have told you when I was a teenager, a young teenager, probably that drinking alcohol was like a mortal sin. Right. And, knowing that there were other people who went to my church who occasionally drank beer was like a thing I was sort of vaguely aware of, but sort of scandalized. (laughs) Worried about them for you. And and I I think in a lot of ways it was also isolating because especially when we were kids, but like even as teenagers, like the church was so much a part of just all social activities Mm -hmm. that the concept of not, going along with that was very frightening right because it was like you know i have no power to go other places uh and this place is like all tied up in like you have to hang out like all your friends are here oh and also if you don't you will go to hell right as if it's like right. a, a side uh a side incentive to keep going yeah there was this idea like you know what's more important any of these things or your soul right and this, your, the answer was always your your, your soul or whatever kind of stuff that I, as I remember it anyway. Oh, very much. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think it was partially isolating and it was partially just scary. Like I, I lived in fear for the first two decades of my life uh, mm. of God, of my dad, of being alone and abandoned. Cause you know, as, as kids and teenagers, I don't know how much you were exposed to this Ryan, but a lot of people that I was friends with, Uh, as a teenager would like leave and go to other churches. Mm. Uh, And that was not a thing where I was allowed to go along with them. Right. I couldn't couldn't go, I couldn't go to their church. Um, 
and so it's just a kind of a repeated pattern of friends slowly showing up and then leaving forever and having no ability to go be friends with them still. Was that something you wanted to do, like go to some of these other churches, or was it more that you just wanted to be with those people? Uh, it was it was very it was totally a social thing. It was not a hey, I think that church is more the type of church I want to go to. It was like I'm really tired of going to church on Wednesday nights and literally sitting alone and being sad for two and a half hours right. while my parents pray with people. Right, right. We nothing to do. We'd have those prayer services. And I dreaded those because even when I was all on board with that theologically and stuff, I couldn't pray for two hours, you know, and then I'd feel guilty about it and it was boring. And then, you know, and you couldn't take anything to do because it was a prayer service. So yeah, yeah, I hear you. Okay. So as far as evangelical Christians tend to go, they tend to see, they tend to see like faith as this thing based on a decision a person makes to follow Jesus, right? To repent and be saved in that way. What, I mean, was that something, I mean, I'm assuming that's something you did as a child, because of course we did, right? That's what we did in our family. Yeah. Um, but what, so what was that like uh, in terms of what did that, I guess what I'm saying is what did that mean to you as you got older, especially that like, was that something that you still felt was a, it's like a big part of your life or do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, it was definitely a big part of my life as a child. Um, and I, I think as a teenager, it was definitely less so, which is probably not that shocking for a lot of teenagers, right. but, yeah. um, I think it was very much a thing where like, I would tell you that I was a Christian as a teenager, but like the trappings of church or, uh, you know, regular Bible readings, like that kind of stuff was incredibly boring. I thought mm. and, and like, I, I got little to nothing out of it. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think I could tell you if that's a, because there was nothing to get or if it was because the amount of overexposure was so extreme that there yeah. was just nothing left to retrieve from the experience right for me. Um, but yeah, that's definitely where I was as a teenager. So, and feel free not to answer this if you want, but, um, yeah. so, I mean, did you believe in God during that time in the way that, you know, we were taught what that means or, um, not so much? I did. Yeah, I, I definitely did. Um, but I think, again, it's sort of a challenging question to answer honestly at that age, right? Like it's mm -hmm. a, you're not given a lot of choice and the choice you are given of like, do you personally believe in this or not is sort of presented as, do you believe in this or would you like to go to hell? Right. right. And, and forever. So at some point, the, um, the equation turns into in your head, or at least in my head, like, should I believe this thing, which I'm getting nothing out of and doesn't necessarily hold up to a lot of scrutiny, but there's not a ton of a perceivable downside beyond that. Like, mm. is that better than risking oh, that sure. being correct, right? Yeah. So like as a teenager, it was sort of easy to not think about that question too much because there was not a lot of, not a lot of, stuff in my life would have meaningfully changed whatever my decision was at the mm -hmm. time. Not to mention the familial strife it would have created if I can't imagine if one of us had told mom and dad, we don't believe in God anymore. <laughs> Can you even imagine that? Like I can't. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's also like, um, we, we were, I think 
we had pretty strict parents. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, like even when I was doing my best to be very Christian, it did not seem to have an appreciable impact on how that relationship with our parents went for me or how good I felt like they perceived me to be. Uh, which I think might be my own baggage, at least somewhat. But yeah, I mean, are you can you are you willing to say a little more about that? Like, and not 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 necessarily just like give an example, but like you know, what what does that mean a little more? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is going to be an old example that you're super familiar with. I think, but the canonical one is one where we were teenagers, and um, I think I was eighteen, probably, and I think you were fifteen or so. And mm-hmm. mom and dad had some board meeting with church members and, and we asked, or I asked, Hey, can Ryan and I go over to these kids house? While you guys <laughs> oh are yeah. There? Yeah. At this board meeting. Um, and the kids in, in this story were kids of some of the other board members, both of whom those parents were in that meeting. Right. Uh, and so we had always been raised like you don't go to girls houses, uh, Without parents, right? Ironically <laughs> enough, in my case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If only they knew, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, this this was a thing where I told my dad, you know, I asked my dad permission for this, um, knowing that the parents were going to be there with him and right. assuming like, hey, he will know I don't need to go into a big belabored thing because he's busy. So I'm just going to say, hey, can we do this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, which great, you know, a little surprising at the time, but great. Yeah. Um, so we go, um, at the end, we go home uneventful evening. Nothing interesting happens. Just a bunch of, uh, teenagers, I think literally watching TV. We might've watched like did, a Star yeah. Wars movie or something. Yeah. And I got screamed at for hours and like parents told me how bad I was and how I was lying to them and how they were disappointed. And I think it's like a, ultimately a minor thing. I think probably a lot of teenagers have that kind of a story. And so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think in this case, it's like a, it's not necessarily me intending to paint our parents in a bad light so much as like a, it did. It, it seemed very unsurprising at the time. I think like it was, it felt supremely unfair, but not supremely unsurprising. Right. Just it was for, like, for people yeah. who don't know our parents, what were they upset about? primarily they were upset honestly that they felt like i had been intentionally deceptive i I think they were upset they would say they were upset that we were in the house of Mm. of uh other teenagers and specifically women who Mm -hmm. who, um without without being upfront about it but it was really that i had quote unquote lied about it misled Uh, them huh yeah intentionally misled them I actually remember you. Just, I remember hearing because you know, I don't know why, except that I think they were harder on you than me. I remember I got a "you shouldn't do that," but that was basically it. And I remember hearing you at one point saying, "But they were with you yes, <laughs> repeatedly." Yes. You know, I, I I think that was also the age at which I started to enter into like I'm old enough that I'm not gonna just get screamed at like at some point i'm going to disagree with you about this especially if i have a leg to stand on which in right. that case i felt like i did so but that was that was um linked to not just our parents though that seems like that had something to do with um your general outlook on the faith that we had grown up in 
Yeah, I think so. Because it, it was very much like, um, it didn't feel like, like I always felt like our faith was presented as being a very interior sort of a thing. Like it mm-hmm. was very much like how, like your your inner life and what you think and how you behave when no one's around is as important or more important than how you behave around other people and how you treat other people. Right. Uh, and that is a tough thing for a teenage boy to grapple with <laughs> yeah. as somebody kind of growing up and going through puberty. Uh, boy, I don't know how I got to this. No, this but I mean, it's, but, it's uh, true, especially when, I mean, not to be, <laughs> okay, we're here, especially when like things like masturbation were like the horrible sins right and that's yeah. just an example i mean it was what you thought about it was what you watched it was all kinds of stuff that even if no one knew you did it, it and somehow like you said that was almost worse yeah uh like i remember at some point as a teenager feeling incredible guilt about something dumb i don't know what but like some some thought process that i had thinking about so i'm sure it was girls or something mm-hmm. uh and reading somewhere that there had been some psychological study where if you like pinch yourself when you think about something you're not supposed to think about that that would like train yourself out of doing it. And so oh. for years I would try to like pinch myself in the arm as a way to like not do that stuff. Wow. Which again, I don't know how unique that is. I suspect it's not very unique. Like I, I knew people we went to church with who cut themselves uh, mm-hmm. for various reasons, right? As part of a guilt complex. Like a uh, punishment so. kind of thing. Or in your case, it was like a redirection. But I mean, it was more than just that. It was a physical pain response that was supposed to redirect you. It's a very Trevor way of approaching that problem. Like I read a paper that said that if I do this, that it will have this result. And so allow me to try to reproduce these results. Um, It's Uh, a very me way of approaching a problem. it's It's a very computer programmer way, right? You do this this happens and then, you know, um, yeah. Trevor's a programmer, folks. I am, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I well, I knew some of that. I didn't know the details, but because, um, you know, I think you and I got a lot closer after we didn't live together was part of it, right? I mean, I don't think we had a bad relationship growing up, but this wasn't the kind of stuff we talked about much. Although I do, looking back on it, I do now remember some times where I think you kind of saved me from some of mom and dad's craziness in this regard. I don't know if you, I don't know if you in, wanted to, but I think you did it. What, what did I, when, in what case, I don't remember a lot of like throwing myself on my sword for you at the time. Well, no, I more meant like, so in that example you gave, right? Uh, you could have said, what about Ryan? He was there too. And I, maybe you did, but I don't remember it, but. I honestly, at some point probably did just cause <laughs> it's like, I feel like a lot of our growing up was attempting to find the edges of permissible behavior, mm. but there not being any edges that were consistent. Um, right. at least that's the feeling I had very much so. And so it was sort of a fruitless task of like, wait, why am I in trouble? And he's not in trouble. Um, like just so I can understand. So I don't, you know, fuck up next time. There wasn't usually a way to understand it because the rules changed all the time. Yeah without without any notice (laughs) yeah yeah so and i suspect it wasn't a particular event or a particular point um well actually let me back up a minute so um how would you characterize you know faith your faith or lack i mean like how would you talk about that today do you still consider yourself a christian no no i would consider myself an atheist 
Okay. So I'm going to imagine that that wasn't one single event where you can look back and say, this is why, I mean, maybe it was, I don't know, but like, I mean, was it something like that or was it more of a process like we've been talking about or? Um, I, I would say that there were probably, uh, two or three things that were extremely notable in in that journey for me and then there was probably a, a bunch of lesser things that kind of added up as like a background pattern that kind of reinforced that um but i, I don't think there was like a whatever the atheist version of saul on the road to damascus was <laughs> right um, yeah i didn't like trip over the skull of a tyrannosaurus rex and be like boy this chair looks older than six thousand years old <laughs> you mean richard dawkins didn't appear to you in the sky and uh, uh he did not no <laughs> so um I, I mean can you tell us what not all of them necessarily but what some of those things were sure um so i i think there were a couple uh and i think that they probably uh started around boy how old are you in the 11th grade uh so whenever that age 15 15, yeah uh so i i think the first notable thing was that i took a course in high school called world religions mm-hmm. um and i don't know how high school works in the united states so i don't know if this is like obvious or different in Canada, but in Canada, uh, we had some number of elective courses that we could take and you had to pick courses that fit into certain buckets and, and world mm-hmm. religions was a history course. I liked history. I was like, Oh, world religion. Like that seems interesting. I guess I'll take that. I need to take some sort of history class. And that class was extremely eye opening for me up to that point. I think my perception of religion was essentially entirely through either the church or popular culture, right? Like I didn't know people who were other religious. Okay, sure. I probably did, but you know, as students at school who we did not talk about religion, but especially where we lived, there weren't a lot of people to expose you to who would, I don't, you know, I don't think I knew any Muslims, for example, in high school. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, the high school I was in at the time was, uh, not the high school that you went to. And that high school was a lot more diverse and a lot less white. Oh, that's true. School. That was this would have yeah. been right before we moved to Arthur. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So it was the world religions class. Was it, uh, what was it about that? Was it just like what you learned or? So uh, I think in a lot of ways it reinforced this sort of, uh, again, probably boring stereotypical question that a lot of Christians come up with, which is like, uh, what about people who aren't Christian, right? Like what happens to those people? And, and to some extent, like I had this thing that I always wondered about that I can, I don't think it's a super novel thing about like, well, as a hypothetical, what happens if a person is born in the Amazon, mm-hmm. never has contact with any Christians and dies, right? What happens right. to that person? And yeah. that was the thing where I think if you corner a lot of pastors on that one, they will tell you they probably go to heaven because they were given no opportunity I, I don't think that's going to be the universal answer, but I, I certainly think that you will sim, you will find some pastors who tell you like, mm, yeah, that's probably a loophole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting given this whole system was presented as not having loopholes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think, so the, the course was split up into essentially like five chunks where they basically spent one fifth of the class examining the five major world religions in depth. So it was like Christianity, Judaism, uh, 
Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, mm-hmm. um, and sort of examining all of those things. And I think some combination of seeing both how much a lot of those religions had in common and how many mm-hmm. people on the global scale kind of believed all those different things, and then having to be confronted on like a daily basis with like, why is the mine definitely correct, but those ones definitely incorrect, right? Like, what is it about this one that is true that if you just look at it as like a series of beliefs doesn't seem more or less, you know, uh, ludicrous than the other ones, right? Sure. Especially since the main difference in people's religion often boils down to where they were born. Right. And in some cases, like Islam literally believes, and Judaism literally believe a lot of the same things as Christianity, right? It's just that they, the in, foundational they, sense, either, yeah. they either remove or add stuff depending on which of the two religions you're talking about. But but like, uh, I, I believe Islam will tell you that Jesus was a, a prophet of God yep. um, in the same way that Muhammad was. And they also, you know, worship the God of Abraham, which is the same one, you know. Yeah, yeah they, they, they would tell is... you they literally worship the same God as Christians, right? right. Um, right. And so... I think that was not a thing where I was like, at the end of that course, I wasn't like, well, I'm not a Christian, but it was a thing that I think stuck in my mind for a long time as being a thing that was hard to, it was hard to explain away, right? It was, it was hard to make that feel good. So I think that was the first thing. Uh, I think the second one, which is if, I, I think it would be almost would have been impossible to be a more boring and obvious answer, but uh Literally going to university, the great liberal bastion of brainwashing. Right, right. But it's not that I took a course there, that at university that convinced me of, you know, hey, don't be a Christian anymore, right? There was nothing in my schoolwork or my professors or my relationships with professors that changed my mind. I think it was literally just being exposed to a lot of people who had a lot of different beliefs. Mm many of whom seemed great and not being only surrounded by church members constantly. Yeah. Um, not having that sort of self-reinforcing set of people. Well, and, and, you know, we were always taught that, you know, quote, the world, right? So these people you're talking about, that without Jesus, your life is in shambles and you're, you know, going to be a drug addict or you're going to, you know, it doesn't work. You can think you're happy like the prodigal son, but in the end, you're going to be eating out of a pig straw, you know, that kind of thing. And then it sounds like you got there and said, wait a minute, they're not doing any of these things. Yeah, I mean, not, this is not universal, but in a lot of cases, this was people who were, happy, intelligent, successful, and in many cases, who had better relationships with their family and their parents than I did. Uh, Uh, And that is a thing that is tough when you're confronted with, you know, in my case, four and a half years of looking at that and not being surrounded with church people. mm -hmm. And then having, as a comparison, like the town that we lived in and went to church in at the time was very small and not what I would say was a healthy town, right? It was mm-hmm. a pretty hard done by town. Like the house yeah. one street over from ours when we were teenagers yeah. was a meth lab that blew up, right? Yeah. And, and so uh, this is not like coming from one group of successful people to another one. It was like this group clearly has systemic problems that are horrible. And this group clearly does not deal with those in the same way. Yeah. 
and then I think the third minor one that happened roughly the same time as the the university thing, uh, but in some ways I think was the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, our dad invited a guest speaker to the church that we went to at the time. To I think I had about. moved out by then. I think I was in Michigan. You might have. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember. I was in university. Um, so or I wasn't there that Sunday for some reason. We anyway. didn't see each other that often because I was at school uh, literally from, in some cases, 8 a.m. until 11 p.m. And then right. I would kind of wake up and leave the next morning and not really see anybody again. But uh, a guest speaker came who was a, I don't know what the what the acceptable Christian word for this is, a gen- Genesis literalist, a young, uh, earth, a young earth creationist. Uh, yeah, and they came to talk about how dinosaurs weren't real. Oh. Um, which is just, from my perspective, laughably incorrect. Bonkers, and, and like yeah. a ignorant in a way that is so willful that it is really hard to look at or was hard for me to look at and go boy this seems like a group of people that i want to associate with right like they're clearly seeking out stuff that is incorrect and not thinking very hard about it Hmm. and i mean there's other little stuff like you know hearing our dad preach about arab people or gay people uh, growing up was a thing that I think was really hard to rationalize with how I felt about those groups, even as a teenager, and how Mm -hmm. society felt about them. Canada is a much more liberal country than the United States. Comparatively speaking, Uh, yeah. Certainly has a lot of problems, but uh, the message that I would get outside of the church was very much like, you know, everyone is equal, everyone's awesome, Gay people are totally fine, uh, which was sort of at odds with the almost militaristic stuff that our dad would sometimes say about it from the pulpit. Right. You know, I don't remember a lot of that, but (laughs) given my own story, I probably (laughs) repressed it. (laughs) The memories, I mean. But um, yeah, I don't know. As everybody experiences things differently, too. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. I tried very hard to not pay attention to a lot of those sermons. So I'm sure that I, <laughs> but I mean, caught a different set of stuff than you. But we heard so many. You're going to get some of it just by osmosis, if nothing else, yeah. you know. So that was uh, that was quite the journey you went on then from where, you know, starting as a kid through teenagers and then with those things that you talked about and, and any number of other things that were probably involved. So what was it so what was it like then on the quote other side so like what i mean by that is you've had these events at some point you're comfortable saying i don't believe in god i'm an atheist or however you said it at the time Mm -hmm. um what what did it feel like to when you finally admitted that to yourself or you know when you realized that um i i think especially at the beginning it was very scary like it was not a switch that flipped and i said like one day i went to bed and i was a christian and i woke up in the morning and i was an atheist like this is uh it was a process that took years where i would wake up being both convinced that god wasn't real and convinced Mm -hmm. that i was going to hell because i thought god wasn't real right and Mm -hmm. that's a thing that I think you'll hear from a lot of people who go through similar stuff to me that that's a process that you go through for ever to some extent. Like it's not mm-hmm. a thing that actively causes me stress on a regular basis anymore, but I still have 
uh, you know, flashbacks to it sometimes. I still catch myself by like uh, muscle memory almost praying mm. for stuff when I'm worried about things and then going like, hey, knock it off. Like that's dumb. I don't believe in that. Um, yeah. Because in a lot of ways for me, prayer was not a thing that you did it was not a decision you made. It was a muscle response, right? It was a thing you do in reaction to something in the same way that blinking or breathing was. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think, like, that process was scary, um, but slow. And I, I think where it is now, like, it feels in a lot of ways very isolating now. Um, not because I don't have friends that I know who are awesome, uh, and not because I don't have some people in my family like you who are very uh, cool and supportive, but in a lot of ways, like when your whole your whole family experience is centered on that stuff, and then you mm. don't believe it anymore, you've essentially like soft cut yourself off from your family, like unintentionally, yeah. right? Like you don't fit. Yeah, I can't talk to mom and dad about stuff that bothers me because their mm. response is you should pray about it, which is not, or we'll pray for you, yeah, yeah. which is not a terribly helpful thing to hear for me. Um, mm -hmm. and is a thing where I then have to either tell them no, thank you. Or I bite my tongue and don't do anything about it. Right. Um, and like our extended family, I'm sure all thinks that I'm going to hell now. Right. Um, I don't, <laughs> you're not my extended yes. family. Yes. Hey, that's the other thing is that it's not just our parents. I mean, it's our grandparents. It's our, all of our aunts and uncles. I know, I think some of our cousins probably have similar stories to yours, at least in some ways, but, um, yeah, but it was growing up. It wasn't just our family. It was everybody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much. It was like literally everyone, you know, is a hardcore Christian and you will be exiled if you don't believe this was, I don't think the literal message that was delivered, but was certainly the message that was received. Mm, yeah. I don't think anybody ever said that, but that was definitely, I mean, they didn't need to, right? I mean, that was just kind of what we knew, I think. Yeah. Um, was it, was there anything else along with that or was it primarily fear for a while? How do you, like, I mean, were there any other emotions or is it just fear? Um, uh, I think it was just the combination of fear and also sorrow at losing. Like, I don't agree with a lot of those aunts and uncles and cousins now, but like these were people who were incredibly important to me as a, mm -hmm. as a kid and a teenager, right? Like, these were people who had a big impact on who I turned out to be and losing that connection is just, is hurtful. Yeah. Right? That hurts. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I had a, I mean, through that's true with the parents too. I mean, on even on a deeper level, I think is that like my story is not yours, and you know we've we've ended well not ended, but we are currently in somewhat of a different spot. But you know, at the same time, I think we share a lot in the way you're talking about this part of like it. Uh, it takes quite it's quite the thing to separate yourself from that, whether it's the way you did or you know the way I did. Um, and it is, I mean, it's, it's really isolating. It's, uh, yeah, yeah it feels, uh, it's, I mean, I'm sure the people who listen to this, this is probably not going to be a surprising thing for them. Cause I would imagine most of them come from pretty religious backgrounds to some extent, but mm -hmm. it also just feels irreconcilable in a way that is hard to deal with. Um, like, 
it's not a we can all agree to disagree sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's you literally believe I'm going to hell, right? Right. Um, and that nothing I say is going to change your mind on that. Uh-huh. Yeah. When one side has the totalizing narrative of like eternal consequences that, and unshakably so, that, that does kind of uh, make it pretty impossible to have any kind of dialogue or discussion about it. Because like, what's not just what's the point, but it feels terrible. You know, yeah, it makes, who wants it makes, to talk about that? Small talk over Thanksgiving dinner challenging. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you remember that time <laughs> when uh, I was there a year or so ago and I we were we were having dinner and I said, I don't know why it came up. But I said something. Oh, I don't really believe in hell anymore. <laughs> I just say I wouldn't think that would be that. Well, I mean, I knew it would be scandalous to them, but it but it uh, it was uh, quite the silence for a bit. I think to some extent, both of us have a tendency now to poke mom and dad a little bit about stuff where we like want a reaction out of them. I think I've done mm-hmm. it less in some cases because I think I've been here longer than you. Not you see them more than I do place. too. Um, but, yeah, you know, I've been in that like not agreeing with mom and dad publicly zone for quite a while, and um, it lost its luster for me. I think a little bit uh, after a while. Yeah, it's still there. It's still that the the desire to do things that uh, most of the world would consider normal and would shock them to their core is is something that I still uh, have to suppress sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, when yeah. Hanging out. Yeah. Here's a here's here's the fun question. Um, so, given all of that, when you look at um, the kind of churches that we grew up in, like if you want to say evangelicalism or fundamentalism or however you want to describe it. Um, I mean, what do you not, I mean, maybe what do you think, but what do you feel? What do you think, you know, looking at that now that you're, he's older than me now that you're what? 36. I am 36. Yeah. Like, what do I think of the groups or sure. Or just like, you know, what do you think of the group or how does it, you know, when you look at all the stuff that's going on today, I mean, how do you feel about them? Uh, I think they're hate groups. Okay. I would classify them as hate groups the same way I would classify something like the KKK. Okay. So um, why would you do that? I think it's pretty easy. I I think for me, it's easy. I I think in a lot of ways, the stuff, and again, talking about evangelical Christians as a big monolith is tough Mm. i don't think that's really a good way to evaluate them so i can only talk about the type of churches that we grew up in but in a lot of cases we grew up where we were taught very regularly that people different from us are going to hell uh people different from us are evil Mm -hmm. um and in some cases those differences that are making people evil and are causing them to go to hell are not things that they had a choice in right Mm. they were born muslims they were born gay uh and the church presents them as an other and as a warning sign to the people in the church of here's what can happen if you're not careful Mm. yeah um and i think the other way it it strikes me as a a hate group is they keep people there through fear Mm. And they they will tell you that's not what they do, but it's wrong, right? Mm. Like I went to multiple things where I was presented with very stark, like 
heaven's gates and hell's oh, flames. That was traumatizing for me. Yeah. You know, you just took a drink of alcohol, 15 year old, and then you got hit by a car. So now you've gone to hell, right? Mm-hmm. There is no, there is no gray area. Like you've got a very absolute sort of a thing. And it turns into causing people to accept radical beliefs because they're afraid of what the alternative would be. Hmm. Um, and in a lot of cases, my opinion, they're also preying on people who are not very smart hmm. and or are very desperate and don't have anything else to turn to. Hmm. Yeah, I just want to pause for a second so we can all think about that. And just to say for anyone who's listening to this, the goal of today is um, to just kind of present Trevor's story as it is. And I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what he says. And I think it's maybe one that people in the church don't hear a lot, or they think they already know it. And so they don't pay attention. And I think that that has done a lot of harm um, just across the board. So so I'm, I'm curious, Ryan, Okay. how much of this is surprising for you? Because you and I have talked about religious stuff a lot for yeah. a long time. Um, yeah, because that- I mean, I, in some, it's, it's interesting to me because in some ways our story is very similar, right? I, um, you know, I wasn't surprised by anything you said today. I think you maybe explained it in ways I hadn't heard before in some cases. But, um, but it's interesting to me because like, the, the feelings about fear, especially, I mean, that's what I have dealt with my whole life too. Um, you know, part of that was being gay and that was a whole other dimension, but I mean the, at its core though, what that emotional response was, I think the same for both of us, you know? So like, yeah, I, I don't think that any of it surprised me. I think that honestly, my, my over uh, overarching or reaction to it is it just makes me sad. Not that you've, done or thought any of this, but that there was no space for either of us to express any of this at all. Like, you know, our church has always talked about being a welcoming place and everybody was welcome, but only if you said and did everything like everybody else. And I think that's the part that upsets me a lot. Well, it's it's also, I totally agree. And also the church being a welcoming place, the evangelical church that we grew up in is bullshit Mm. because you can't be welcoming to everybody and simultaneously tell people, we welcome you and love you the way you are, but you are going to hell the way you are, right? Mm. Like that's not a welcoming outlook. Like you don't get to be both of those things. Either you're welcoming or 90% of the world's going to hell, right? It's Mm. one of the two you get to pick. I mean, that makes sense, right? I think that, I mean, it it won't surprise you to hear that that kind of, that same kind of thing was a huge part of my journey that we've been talking about on this podcast of like, you know, we welcome everybody except you, not just me, but I just mean like it's a great example of that. And it's interesting to me too. I think it might just be part, like our personalities are different in some fundamental ways, but like, you know, you and I have taken different paths at the same time, right? Like I, um, I still do believe in God and consider myself a Christian, but it uh, requires a lot of clarification on my part, you know, in the sense that like, I need people to know what it doesn't mean 
Um, and there's a lot of those things for me that it doesn't mean the kind of things we've been talking about today. Um, yeah. Uh, what a journey. What a journey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it really is one. And um, it's just, you know, was there any part of it to you that felt uh, liberating or freeing, especially maybe even by now? Or um, was it not so much? I don't know if liberating is the right way I would put it. Like, I, I feel like liberating to me has a connotation of like, you know, uh, left the jail cell and suddenly I am out. Uh, and now I feel like a great weight has been lifted, uh, which I don't think is how I felt ever. Like in some ways the process was too slow for it to ever feel mm -hmm. liberating. And I'm yeah. not sure the process will ever be complete, which also makes it not very liberating. Sure. I mean, with something where you have some kind of this was the thing that did it, some big event, it's probably yeah. easier to feel that way. But when it's um, drips or sometimes turn the faucet on, but I mean, when it's different amounts over a long period of time, I could see why that wouldn't be so much how it felt. I was just curious because yeah. some people describe it that way, but um, doesn't sound it like it was that way for you. Totally fair. Yeah, I don't uh, I, I could totally see how someone would have that reaction to it. Yeah. Well, is there is there anything else that you want to say or, you know, um, feel like you need to add or anything like that? Uh, I think the only thing I would add that I think is super important for people is to seek out people who don't agree with you. I think that's something that the church works hard to prevent in a lot of cases and when you do need to talk with those people they present it as like a hey you know put on the armor of god and get ready to ward off the untruths yeah if if you seek out people who don't agree with you it's to convince them to be like you right and i, I mean very specifically seek out people who you don't agree with about stuff and don't try to convince them that you're right don't don't necessarily try to change your mind to agree with them either but like just live with the fact that there are millions of people who have different outlooks than you and stuff is working out for them okay in a lot of cases mm. um, i think sort of ironically the church did a very poor job of teaching me empathy and meeting a bunch of people who did not have the same background as me did a much better job uh of of that and it's something that I found infinitely more useful in becoming a functioning adult. Yeah. I mean, people who've listened to any of our episodes have heard me talk many times about how a lot of the problems I see with our kind of churches is that there's, you know, no room for, or there's no evidence of much empathy. Um, and that just seems bewildering to me, given how Jesus taught and how he lived and how he is. But um, yeah, so I hear you. I think... I mean, I think a lot of the problems that like Nate and I bring up, I think it's not the only thing, but that's all. It seems like that's a big ingredient in a lot of the stuff that we talk about of like, what about compassion? You know, what about, um, are you willing to like, listen to these, like say, you know, find these people who disagree with and what if you just listened and didn't even tell them what you thought, at least for a while, you know, um, I just, you know, I think that would, um, even with even if you have their goals, like you know, if you believe in this this evangelical system, it's still going to work better in in the sense of people are going to actually 
like have relationships with you. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, thanks for coming on and talking to us uh, today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I you know, official guest. Yeah, and you know, people, Trevor is my favorite brother, so it only seemed appropriate that that he come on today. It's true. I am your favorite brother. Uh, I'm sorry I called the church a hate group. Not really. <laughs> no, but... yeah, don't be sorry. This is the kind <laughs> of thing that I think I want people to hear because, you know, if something really like scandalizes you, I think that's a perfect example of a time when you should stop and say, okay, but why am I scandalized by this? Like, why is it provoking this strong reaction? And use it as a way for introspection of like, even if you don't agree with what Trevor said there, like, is there anything to what he's saying that you should think about? You know, is there is there uh, any part of it that you don't have an answer for? Um, and maybe like Trevor was saying, like, maybe even like we don't have to like immediately say he's right or wrong, but maybe we can just sit with the story that he's presented us today in a sense of like wondering what must that have been like and what brought him to say that and, and that kind of stuff. So I hope that if you listen to this, I hope that, that it will cause you to do those sorts of things. Again, we didn't, um, Trevor and I didn't plan this to make anybody angry, but we wanted to be honest. Okay, so Trevor, Trevor might have, but I didn't. Uh, no, but just I hope you'll use it as a way to reflect and think and be introspective and um, maybe even pause a bit and just wait and see what happens. Uh, you know, sometimes we throw ourselves off into the deep end, got to act all the time, and sometimes we should slow down, <laughs> hold up, you know, so. It's okay to not have the answers sometimes. Yeah, like like we say on here, it's really okay not to know. I know a lot of us grew up in a system where you had to know what you believed, why you believed it, and be able to explain it. And, you know, it seems like one of the things Trevor and I have in common is that there came a point or a series of points where there was no explanation, you know, and that's okay. I mean, that may not be the case forever. Maybe there will be at some point, but like, it's okay not to know. And uh, I think that's just part of being human. So, yep. um, yeah, so, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Any feedback you've got, feel free to email us, uh, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can tell us why we're wonderful. Um, all of the hundreds of people that listened because Trevor was on today, thank you for being here. Um, he's going to increase our listening uh, audience a whole bunch. And uh, you guys forward me hate mail if you get any <laughs> okay i'll be sure to do that i will be sure to do that so thanks for listening everybody and uh you won't hear this till after thanksgiving but happy thanksgiving all the same and uh we'll see you next time 